This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Are we finally seeing signs of recession? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Tavi Costa, Portfolio Manager at Crestcat Capital. Hi, Tavi. It's great to see you. Hi, Maggie. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah. So it's interesting. We saw that Home Depot news come out today. Disappointing revenue, full-year guidance uh, was lower, disappointing as well. And that really seemed to set the tone. U.S. equities down today. Not not heavy losses, but we did see the Dow and S&P just sort of hanging lower all day. The Nasdaq was holding up, but that slipped into the red right at the close. And, you know, everybody may be getting a little bit more nervous now. Are we starting to see now finally the signs of recession that everyone's been expecting and predicting? I think the data is starting to really show that in many ways. Uh, we've had earnings recently. The, I think the big news of the earnings uh, releases that we've had recently have been the resilience and most of the revenue parts. However, when you look at earnings, they're beginning to contract already. Um, some of them, consumer discretionary is down over 40% on a diluted basis, which is surprising for a lot of people. Financials are down as well over 30%, which is not as surprising given all the crises that we've had recently. But a 40% decline on consumer discretionary is something to be noted. And so we're starting to see also the data in other things such as uh, soft data uh, from IM, uh, ISM uh, manufacturing uh, uh, surveys in different parts of the U.S. are starting to show similar signs of, uh, of weakness. Um, and I think that we're also uh, likely to see a tightening of monetary conditions beginning to show its, uh, uh, its, its problems in terms of, uh, of the economy being too levered. And uh, it's been of our views that, uh, that we're probably going to be into a recession here soon. I don't think the yield curve issues that we've had over in November when the threshold that we pay very close attention to, which is the percentage of yield curve inversions went above 70% in November. Since then, uh, we've seen uh, the data, uh, macro data starting to really show that we're probably going to be contracting economically speaking. I think we're getting pretty close to that. It's, it's almost surprising to see VIX trading uh, as suppressed as it has been and, and looking at credit spreads. Uh, as low as they are. And we're seeing a total separation between mega cap companies and the rest of the market. If you look at the NASDAQ 100, for instance, right now, relative to Russell 2000, you can see that it's the largest spread since the, the tech bubble or the very peak of the tech bubble. So most of the performance we've seen so far, which also is not really news, but the degree and the magnitude of that uh, outperformance of mega cap and larger companies 
is starting to get really stretched. And so uh, I think there's, you know, certainly some uh, some issues that could uh, come from there, especially if we have rates being higher for longer and other uh, things that are priced in markets right now, such as easing by the Federal Reserve uh, or other uh, lower rates in order to justify the really high multiples that we have in overall equity markets. So it's a lot to unpack, but uh, um, I think, you know, as you said, most of the signs of a hard lending are starting to become more uh, uh, apparent. You know, it's interesting, though, because so, you know, we do have people expecting this Fed pivot. You start to see that weak data come in and people will sort of, you know, run to the conclusion that, OK, now we're seeing the signs that will give the Fed room to back off, certainly to pause. But, you know, if you look at retail sales today, it was way below expectation, but it was still kind of holding up. So you you still seem to be, we seem to be in this transition period that's going to be really hard to time how this all plays out. Where where do you think the weakness is coming from? Is it the lending side? Is it due to some of the issues we saw in banking? Or is the consumer, which is they've been so resilient, are they starting to roll over? Well, I think that you mentioned both of them. Uh, I, I would think that the consumer is going to start to weigh in a lot more uh, in the following months uh, because you know you're starting to see credit card loans uh, increase significantly, which means that they are starting to run out of cash and use uh, credit cards, and and that's that's usually not a, a very good sign. Uh, but the consumer is still relatively okay compared to other decades. I do think that we're going to see a significant Decline. It's also related to labor markets. Uh, labor markets have been very strong, uh, but it's just in a few parts of the of their labor market specifically that are uh, looking more resilient. So um, I don't know. I think I think what we're seeing right now, as far as 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 performance across the markets, um, that I'm really concerned about uh, remains. You know, yes, the debt ceiling is something that is in everyone's minds, and uh, because of the default risk and so forth. I think there's basically zero default risk. I mean, yeah, we can see a technical default and other things, but I'm not sure that's really the problem. What I'm mostly concerned is as we see those uh, those two parties agree on extending the debt limit is can we absorb a large amount of treasury issuances as we move forward uh, after the fact, after uh, agreeing on extending the debt limit? And I'm, I'm not sure we can because prior uh, resolvements of those of that that ceiling issue. We've had, uh, I think, in 2015 or so, it was an increase of about 1.1 trillion dollars in the next nine months of the debt problem. And you know, since then, that number has been increasing every time we've resolved the debt ceiling. And now, last time was about two trillion dollars. They're saying they're going to increase or issue about 1.2 trillion dollars in the next months after uh, after the debt ceiling problem because they have to catch up with. Uh, the fact that they have not issued any treasuries, I think that it's easy to make the case that we're going to see over $2 trillion of treasury issuances. And can the market really absorb that today? I'm not sure there's really enough buyers of those instruments. And everything is tied to the treasury market today, right? I mean, uh, look, I mean, even long duration assets or uh, most of this bear market rally we've had in, in since the beginning of the year is being caused by the fact that 10-year yields have not been rising like they were back in 2022. And the fact that we didn't see uh, financial conditions really tighten as much as they were back in 2022. They actually ease up in many of the measurements that we looked at, considering credit credit spreads. Although I do think that's an opportunity that credit spread, spreads may blow out. Uh, 
they've been declining recently along with the VIX. And so I don't know. I think that we're setting the stage for something big to happen, uh, in my opinion. It's, 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 I've, I haven't seen many of those times in my career where you have fundamentals you know, really deteriorating. You have the narrative really deteriorating. Uh, but at the same time, some of the instruments that should be uh, showing some of that weakness are not doing that. And you know, I think that the volatility is way too suppressed. And you know, we're creating, setting the stage for a, a vol event, in my opinion. Mm. Why do you think volatility is so suppressed? What's going on that we're not seeing this reflected in the markets? Uh, I think the way we measure volatility in the first place that people like to talk about is is the VIX, which arguably is not a good way to to really look at volatility itself. Uh, but thinking about how the weights of the uh, which is mostly looking at the S&P 500 put options and so forth, but looking at the underlying um, index, which is the S&P, and looking at the weight of most of those mega cap companies that have been performing well uh, over the last months or so, uh, I think that's the reason why we haven't seen some of those issues really unfold. Uh, look, credit spreads are also shouldn't be explained by the mega caps. They should be explained by the fact that we just haven't seen a credit event outside of the banking problems. Um, so I don't know. I think this is, um, as there was a good chart that we put out, uh, I probably didn't send to you guys, just came to my mind, but it was a good chart that we put out uh, recently that really looked at the number of bankruptcies that we haven't had in 08 versus today. And there is a lag. You, initially, you see a very large amount of assets uh, going bankrupt initially or businesses that have a lot of assets. And the following wave is the other number of businesses that follow along with that. And I think we've had some bankruptcies happen. Some of them are very important ones in the banking section, in the crypto space and some others. But um, I don't know. I, I would think that there's more to go. And if that is the case and there's a credit or a vol event in the horizon, you know, credit spreads and VIX are way too cheap. And you know, maybe mega caps don't deserve to be where they are. Why would you pay a hundred times earnings uh, to a company that is not even growing anymore? Most of the things stocks are actually starting to deteriorate, even on the top line and the bottom line. So, no, I think I think there's a lot of risk that uh, that people are not really perceiving as risk right now. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. That's so interesting. And we're going to talk about how you how you grapple with that risk in a second. I do want to get to that. But it's interesting that you're you're talking about tech stocks because it you know, there was all this concern about that, about you know, future profitability not being it. We heard all about this rotation that was going to go into value and you know, into sort of more traditional names. And then I feel like chat GPT came out and it just blew the roof off. And a lot of the 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 you know the gains that you're seeing pace and tech are really around this AI revolution. We had OpenAI's CEO Sam Altman and other tech executives testifying in front of Congress today. I mean, everyone's trying to wrap their head around this. First of all, do you think that that's ushering it? That do you think that that's responsible for this enthusiasm and this money pouring into the tech sector and and causing this outperformance? I sound like a perma bear, but I just really, really struggle getting behind a market that the CAPE ratio is just so excessive or the cyclically adjusted PE ratio is so excessively. 
uh, historically. I don't think we've ever seen a time in history when we reach that level that the next 10 years will look really attractive. Um, I know other folks are starting to talk about that as well. Druck Miller mentioned that not too long ago. It's an important point because you know how where will valuations really inflate from here, especially if rates stay higher than they were 10 years ago and growth will be lower than it was 10 years ago. Now, let's use the AI uh, idea because I, I think it's something I've been thinking a lot about too. Um, look, AI is almost like a perfect assistant. You know, it almost replaces at least you know, 100 people are working for you as an assistant sometimes. And it's, uh, it's amazing what it can do. It's been very helpful for our business as well. Uh, we've been using quite a lot. Um, and uh, what I find interesting is, is there is today a gap in valuations between small companies and larger companies. And if anything, what AI really does, in my opinion, so far of my experience using it and talking to people, is that perhaps, yes, there is, you know, improvements across the board of, of, of technological breakthroughs, but also uh, in effic efficiencies and other things that may be created. But one of the things that is interesting is that I think it will close a little bit the gap between smaller companies and larger companies mm. because, you know, it's not the need for, you know, having to really have an army working for you. It won't be as necessary as, as used to be in the past. And so something to you know to really think about because right now in the market you see this major um, uh, you know uh, I would say divergence between small cap names and and the mega cap names it, it really is a divergence one is going up and the other one's going down and you know I, I'm not sure that is really justified by what's going on either so uh, look I think we've had other breakthroughs during parts and times of the market where valuations are really high. Yes, there is maybe this time is different and we're going to see two, uh, you know, uh, sequences of decades uh, of robust growth in corporate earnings. We've never seen this before. We've had that one in the 1920s, one in the 1990s and one in the 2010s. Uh, both of the other ones were really preceded very important contractions in corporate earnings in the following decade. Can we see something similar today? I think it's very possible. So. No, I'm a little concerned about about that. I, I think I think we extrapolated way too much uh, in terms of what will look like ahead. And I think this whole idea that markets are discount mechanism, which obviously is the case, in 2022, all we've had has been a discounting of duration, not a discounting of cash flows. I mean, uh, even Infotech, which you know, as as you're talking about with with the AI and other developments, their earnings are down over 11 percent year over year. Um, you know, Microsoft, which is one of the uh, the darlings of AI and so forth, just frees salaries of their own employees. They're not mm -hmm. raising any salaries. So, you know, it's a lot of conflicting data and information about uh, all this as well. So yeah. I, I think it's a little bit height. Yeah, it's a great it's a it's a great observation. A lot of great observations in there. So if you're nervous about this, uh, these risks that, you know, vols too low, that risks are not being appreciated, credit spreads, tech, mega techs too, running too fast, too far. How are you positioning? What do you, how do you protect yourself if we're setting up for a vol event? Um, well, we have hedges and, and I think the long side of our portfolio, it won't change much in the next, you know, call it five to 10 years, which is very heavily invested in natural resource companies. I still think uh, there's a lot of reasons to believe that resource companies will 
will do very well in, in the near future. There's still a fraction of the global equity market. And yeah, they can get caught up in a recession as well. So it is absolutely critical to have some sort of a hedge uh, in those in those businesses too. And so the way we've been doing it is, is we've been, you know, we think credit spreads are going to blow out. So we've been short a lot of junk bonds. We have shorts in the mega cap space. Uh, I think the shorts in the mega cap space are becoming cheaper and cheaper, given the fact that everyone disagrees with the thesis. Everyone thinks that they are supposedly haven assets today, which is insane in my mind. Um, I think there's still opportunities to be short things like private equity companies or private equity funds uh, that I think are massively mismarking uh, their balance sheets. Um, you know, some of them carry a lot of, uh, you know, uh, startup, uh, tech startups in, 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 their, in their balance sheets. Some of them uh, carry commercial real estate in their balance sheets. And, you know, those things still need to be marked accordingly. Um, and there is a, a significant narrative shift happening across the general and, and the public in general uh, regarding uh, uh, the, you know, the issues of, of private equity in, in different businesses like hospitals and other things. And I think those are, are going to be big shifts in terms of the, the narrative that could eventually hurt those companies. We've always been skeptical about those, those industries just because, um, you know, I'm not sure this if people really knew what was really happening, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of how those valuations really occurred and, and how those uh, those fees get paid uh, through those managers, I think I think people would be surprised. And so um, anyways, I do think there's a lot of pain in that part of the market still ahead. Um, mm -hmm. You know, some of them are already suffering outflows and other things that we, we know of. Um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that this will happen tomorrow, but that's one side of the market that I think could be potentially at risk. And so mega caps, corporate bonds, uh, private equities, I think insurance businesses that carry a lot of, of corporate bonds today, those mm -hmm. businesses have a lot of corporate bonds in their balance sheets. It's basically a big chunk of what they own. And, and so I think there's, you know, there's reasons to be worried about some, some of those parts of the markets. And, uh, yeah, and technology have the separation, right? The smaller companies and the larger ones. The larger ones are really cheap to be uh, finding ways of, uh, of of be exposed to the short side, and I, I'm I'm really attracted to those. Mm. Are you? Is there a concern that trouble in that part of the, or if the pain starts to become real in that part of the market, that it be, could become systemic? Do you worry about something like that? Oh, I think there's the potential. You're asking really the question of if there is a risk of a, a, hard, a full hard lending sort of scenario. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, I would say that there is a very high probability of that. Um, I think very soon here, given how things are developing, uh, the situation with the banks really adds to that case. I think there was a chart I used recently, which was showing the commercial and industrial loans of um, and uh, in terms of growth, and we're starting because people are looking at those things on an annual basis. So the delta on a year-over-year -year basis, I'm not sure that's really as as critical as looking at this in a shorter time time frame. Given the fact of most of those developments happened in the last months or so, but you're starting to see some really significant declines in terms of contraction of those loans and. You know, I think that that is just adding to the case of the yield curve that has been telling and warning us about a potential recession and the fact that we're starting to see 
the separation, even on uh, earnings beginning to contract, but revenues is still staying resilient. Revenues would be the last ones to fall. And I think that's in the next earnings, we're probably going to see that. And if you look at most estimates, we're still seeing growth is still being embedded in most of those estimates today. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm concerned about overall in, in terms of the economy. I think there's going to be some uh, some real pain here in the near future. Yeah. So your bullish commodities, we talked about that last time you were on, um, but it's interesting now if we're seeing recession, we're seeing the potential for some vol events. These are all negatives that would presumably hurt demand and weaken the economy, and yet you're still bullish commodities. It sounds like it's a longer term, um, and let us know if it's a longer term call and what fuels that well i first and foremost i'm big believer that we're going to see correlations uh playing in markets very differently than we saw back in a way and so i think that i don't think this is 1970s but i do think correlations could be very similar in the sense of how you've had protective assets like treasuries uh, in the last couple of decades have been very good uh defensive assets to your portfolio i'm not sure that would be the case today so you think about gold playing that role. There's a reason why, yes, I know gold has been uh, underperforming the last week or two, but it, it's the only asset in the whole world that is actually about to make new highs in terms of a macro asset, not Bitcoin. Bitcoin's down 70% from all-time highs. And so not NASDAQ, not the S&P 500, not oil, not copper. You know, So it's really interesting to see that gold is holding up well up there. And I, you know, I think there's a reason for that is the trifecta of macro imbalances that we have, the 1940s debt, the valuation problem of the 1990s, inflation problem of the 70s, all that is playing a role into allowing gold prices to be lifted. Uh, and I think that's probably going to be the case moving forward. And so the reason why I'm so bullish on commodities, I understand the risk and the cyclicality of some of them like silver or copper, but I do think gold will play more and more of a role into becoming that defensive asset. And it's important to see what's going on with, with central banks buying those, those instruments. Central banks were basically the big buyers of treasuries in the 80s. Um, if you look at what caused the 60-40 portfolio's creation, in my opinion, started with the larger institutions, even larger than the pension funds, which are the central banks. They started buying the treasury market uh, before anybody. And then we became, uh, we saw this, this construction of a conventional portfolio called the 6040s. And I'm not sure that will be the case in the near future, meaning five out of 10 years from now, I think there's going to be not the end of fixed income and equities in a portfolio, but a, a more balanced portfolio where gold will start playing a bigger role into that. And I think, you know, look at the performance of treasuries versus gold in the 70s, which is very important. There was a major divergence between the two where gold was rising every time the market had some painful moments. I think we're going to start seeing that here as well. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Mm. Jim, Jim was asking what resources you like and why. It sounds like even though we're talking about commodities, it's really gold. Or do you like them all? You just like gold the best. Oh, no, I like a lot of, I think the metals and mining is one of the most important ones. I had a chart that I sent to you all uh, looking at the industrial production in, in the U.S. And it's such an important chart because it creates and, and sets the stage for the long-term demand for, for commodities in general. 
So if you look at that chart itself, you're going to see that there's been an 80-year process from the 1920s all the way to 2000, 80-year process of exponential growth of industrial production in the U.S. And then from 2000 to now, we've basically seen a stagnant period where there was no growth whatsoever in industrial production. In fact, this was really aligned with the fact that China entered the WTO and became a large exporter of, I think China went from 2% of total exports in the global economy to 15%. So big changes there in terms of reliance in that country. As we continue to see things play out in terms of more deglobalization trends and so forth, countries will be forced to go above and beyond and shift their economies back to onshore and reduce the geopolitical risk that they currently have. And as we see that happening, it's hard to believe that just like China entering the WTO created a bull market in commodities in the early 2000s, I'm really excited about seeing the G7 economies doing the same today. It's going to be much bigger. So, you know, I think there's a case to be made there in long-term commodities. And you look at the metals and mining industry itself, which will be serving most of those developments. Boy, it's like, it's, it's again, it's a fraction of the S&P 500. It's a fraction of the global equity market. So, you know, I, I'm bullish, you know, not on just gold, but silver, copper. Uh, we have cobalt, nickel, uh, all sorts of things. And uh, I just think it's really interesting that today you have, you know, gold prices approaching new levels and properties that own gold that have, they are in the process of defining large discoveries of gold, trading at very depressed valuations. And so I've never, either I'm really stupid or this is one of the best opportunities I've ever seen. So <laughs> I'm really excited about this because I, you know, I, I, I don't know per se, you know, 100% the value of everything that we own in terms of their assets underground, but boy, it's definitely not what's being priced in the markets today. So I think it's really interesting the level of inefficiencies we're finding there. And that's why I'm so attracted to it. So, you know, as I'm thinking about this, and I don't know if this is um, exactly the right question, but if there is, if there is deglobalization and we do see this, in, you know, industrial boom as everyone reshores, if you've got AI on the loose, and it's going to be robots that do much, much of the heavy lifting or a version of, you know, computer, computer learning and things are way more efficient because of that. You don't need nearly the amount of people. Is, does that still mean we see a commodity boom? Do we just get rid of wage inflation, but you still have commodities going up? Or does that change the calculation for commodities as well? Well, we still need bridges to survive. We still need airports. We still need highways. We still need, uh, you know, all sorts of things. Industrial capacity needs to be built. Uh, and like I said, there's another chart or, or show between the manufacturing uh, uh, part of the economy relative to GDP today, uh, which used to be a very significant percentage and today is, is probably one third of what used to be. And it's you know, I, we've been in a secular decline on that, by the way. So um, I don't think commodities are going away because of AI. I think AI is is going to create a lot of breakthroughs. I'm really excited about the tech, biotechnology space, for instance. I think there's a lot of, we've been investing in that. We actually hired recently, uh, three months ago, a, a scientist to work with us in, in finding uh, some of those, uh, those, before this whole hype on AI, really, uh, I, I should say five months ago or so, 
And uh, it's been really exciting to learn about that industry overall. And I think with AI, things can really uh, become more and more appealing in that camp. But, uh, you know, and they're not priced the same way a lot of the mega caps and other stocks are priced today for perfection. Um, so I'm attracted to that. I don't think AI will change the dynamic in terms of the demand for, you know, copper in terms of the green revolution, the electrification that is happening, um, or even gold itself. The fact that central banks are buying gold and you have solar panels being created still needs silver. I don't think we're going to change that setup for commodities at all. So mm. I think there's, you know, uh, <laughs> I think it's uh, almost safe to say that the, the 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 demand side of it will continue to be very robust and probably increasingly robust over the next five to ten years for commodities. And the fact that supply remains so tight, it, it, commodities are all different in in their sense. But in the metals and mining, I can certainly say that uh, it, it takes over decades to go from from oversupply or to under from undersupply to oversupply and. And I think we're definitely in the undersupply stage right now, and it's going to take a long time to see that uh, shifting. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's it's hard not to be a bull. I mean, it, it's, you know, there's a lot of those things are really cheap, especially in the ground. I mean, if you think just buying gold or copper in the ground today is is has never been cheaper. What uh, and you like you have a country play on that too. You very bullish on Brazil, correct? Is it related to commodities, or is there are there other factors that make you like Brazil so much? Well, I think Brazil is interesting because basically, again, if you just I suggest people to do that, take you know a, a, a big look, you know, a, a big macro look in terms of what are the cheapest equity markets in the world today. Start start there. Just look at cape ratios across the whole world economy. What you're gonna find is the cheapest economies are Brazil and other commodity-led economies at the very top. The bottom of that, you're gonna see the US, which is by far one of the most expensive ones. And then you have other things like India, uh, which is a commodity importer. And you know, it's still a lot of hype on India, uh, you know, surpassing in terms of, uh, of, of performances, other emerging markets, which I don't believe. Now, you start seeing things like Brazil that are really cheap, and you ask yourself, why is it so cheap? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Well, we've had a very depressed commodity market over the last decades or so, and the underinvestments there is reflected in the Brazilian market. Number two, you've had a shift in the political environment that is creates a political risk. But hold on a second. There's also political risk in the U.S. One is price <laughs> at one of the you highest. You can say that again. <laughs> uh, one is price at one of the highest you know, or most expensive valuations in history. And the other is priced in one of the lowest valuations in history. One is priced for failure. The other one is priced for perfection. I, I would much rather take the price for failure uh, because I believe in this commodity cycle that we're probably entering. And I think that it's going to create a lot of opportunities in that part of the market. And remember, the commodity space is very thin and small. Once, once large institutions begin to really spread their wings, it's hard to believe Brazil is not going to play a role as, as part of their portfolios. And so I'm not claiming here it's going to be no volatility, easy trade, not at all. This is going to be heavily volatile and, and uh, there's going to be bad news and good news and, and, and get ready for the ride. It's, it's always crazy. Brazil, there's always a political crisis going on. But how prices of those uh, uh, relative to fundamentals of most of the businesses, I mean, look at the banks. They're really cheap today. 
or look at commodity businesses in Brazil relative to other commodities in, in other developed economies. I'm not, I'm not sure that divergence of valuations is really uh, correct. I think there's a lot of opportunities here uh, in that part of the market. And I'd rather be on the cheap side than on the expensive side. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And you like to express that through equities, like a, a general Brazil ETF fund, or do you have to be a little bit, dig a little deeper into certain sectors or, or currency or bond? How do you like that? Um, I don't have a currency position, although I'm not opposed to it. I don't have a bond position either, although I'm not opposed to it. Um, I am. I do have equity positions in some uh, commodity producers, the banks, um, and uh, companies. Uh, some of the companies pay really high dividends as well uh, on top of it. And uh, uh, we do have private uh, investments as well in Brazil in the mining space. And so that is essentially that part of the book. It's not a huge amount of a portfolio. I, I just want to say that, but it's it's yeah. a, something I'm excited. I think it's uh you know I I would think that the 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 understanding of that market would be in demand in the following years, and uh, you know people that understand that market very well, you know I, I would say that those are you know probably going to be have some really interesting years, and I'm I'm excited about that because I'm Brazilian and uh, I've never been excited about Brazil, I've been so biasly you know negative about it, and recently I just looking at the things and my views about commodities, I would say recently in less one or two years. I've been really shifting my view on on Brazilian equities, and uh, it's been difficult. But uh, I think I am fully now engaged in, into uh, going public and saying that I I think Brazil is going to be a great investment for the next five to ten years. Yeah, I love it. I love it, Tavi. We covered a lot of ground. Always really fantastic to have you on. Um, really interesting. I love your your comments about AI kind of leveling the playing field between big and small companies. I, I think we haven't heard enough about that. I think it's a really interesting observation. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on. Thanks to all of you. As usual, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, I think I'm with Darius Dale, if I'm not mistaken, but have a, have a fantastic evening. And as always, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. 